0: Listening to the Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I am joined by life coach Robert Party. Robert is someone who strives for change and excellence in everything he does. His tagline is to be possibility in action. Born in New York City, Robert has also lived in Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Rome, and now lives in a small town in the middle of Abruzzo, where both his family and Madonna's family come from. It was in 2014, several years after his wife's death, that he could no longer ignore his dream to live in Italy. Contrary to the advice of others, he left the security, a job, regular income, and the community he built in Dubai and moved to Italy without knowing Italian or his next steps. This is where he pursued another dream of his, which was to become a coach. Robert, welcome to The Catalyst.
1: Hey, Samantha, thank you very much.
0: Robert, in just that short bio, it seems that life has taken you on one hell of a journey.
1: It, de- it, it definitely has. I have to say that... Um one of the best things about the journey itself has been the ability to see many different aspects of my own personality come forward. And um, I I think if, if we really think about it, everyone probably goes through, A Grand journey, whether it's it's moving to different countries or things that have happened to me or other things I think we all live a journey. So um, but it it has been rather interesting
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. So let's go back to the beginning because I think that's often where our relationship with change begins and you've been Open about your difficult relationship with your father What was that like and how do you think it influenced your view on change?
1: Wow. Great question. And I have to say it is, it is one of the fundamental building blocks or was one of the fundamental building blocks of who I became. And, um, the relationship itself was growing up with, with, with an alcoholic father, which, um, created an extreme amount of uncertainty. Hmm. So, not knowing whether or not i was going to come home and be beaten or come home and be you know smothered in kisses Mm. so at a very young age i in, in in a way there was no consistency and i had to learn to to deal with inconsistent behavior and uncertainty in life now of course speaking about that as an adult it comes across much differently but at at the time i had a tremendous group of friends more than anything else because to a certain extent i realized that as a child i was also very angry at my mother for allowing the things to happen so it wasn't that the home environment offered me any any input, any salvation, any security, but I did have a bunch of friends, which why it happened the way it did is very curious, but we were able to laugh a lot about what was happening regardless of the fact that it was happening. Mm. And it did in a way, give me one of the first building blocks of let's say resilience But it did give me the ability to start to separate myself from the events that were happening and not paint my entire life, um, even from a young age, as being victimized, let's say, and that I could distance myself from it. And then that, that grew into other skills, of course. And I look back at it now, and I'm very... It, it sounds odd, but I'm very thankful for the way I grew up because I wouldn't have all the skills I have that have allowed me to, to manage or pursue the journey you talked about at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, because some of the journey was, was brought to me and some of the journey was a decision I made myself. But in all of that, those skills that I developed as as a younger kid dealing with with uncertainty actually helped me accept the fact that everything is uncertain.
0: Hmm. And did you ever feel in those moments, I mean, you mentioned having the ability early on to distance yourself from certain circumstances and situations, but did you ever feel like you just wanted to escape it all?
1: Oh God, yeah. <laughs> um, I when i was very young i fantasized in every way possible of how to run away hmm. and i remember seeing some tv shows where people would like sue their parents or you know change their last name and and, and those would be fantas- fantasies that would keep me up at night then i started drawing um, this little doodle um, but basically, it's, it's like if you take a box and, and you draw it to infinity perspective, what I did is I, I allowed the lines to cross where it was almost the mirror image on the other side of where all the lines converged. And I used to pretend that there was a um, parallel world where I had you know a great relationship with my dad and everything was going to be okay. And I, I stayed in that environment somewhat um, when things were very, very bad. But luckily, um, a, a great fr- I'm 54. So um, my, my friend, I've known him for 50 years. He lived across the street from me. Wow. And I can't tell you how many times I slept at his house. Mm. So it was a way, at least, to. I, re- I remember sometimes we would look into my house and we would see whether my dad was passed out or not. And if he was passed out, I would chance it to go in. <laughs> and if he was still awake, I'd be like, can I sleep over? <laughs> and then, you know, his his mom would make s'mores or something. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was a very fun experience for what it was. Like when I look back on it now, I just, I I see how much love and support I received from, my friend's family, his brothers and his sister. And um, that was my community. That was the community that knew everything. And it allowed me to, you know, because when you're in a situation like that, even when you're young, it's, it's very easy to want to deny. And I think denial is one of the, the seeds of shame. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to share it all with them. And, um, like I said, when we would laugh about certain things, even with my brother, even though he didn't, um, he wasn't the focal point of my father's anger. He was also four years younger than me. So that may have been one of the reasons, but, um, he and I would joke about things that happened too. And now we joke with my mom about certain events that had happened in the house, which I think is actually very therapeutic for her as well um because she of course has always had a lot of um sadness and guilt and and shame about what had happened when i was younger but to be able to be vulnerable and and talk with someone that didn't treat me in in a way that oh it's so sad we're so sorry that's happening but treated me more as, you know, hey, everything's going to be okay. You know, stay here as long as you want. You know, what do you want for dinner? Um, stuff like that was instrumental because it gave me faith in life.
0: Mm. That's so beautiful. I mean, it's it's a really unfortunate circumstance and situation to grow up in, but having that type of support and the type of people who can see you for you, I'm sure, I mean, in ways you're probably still discovering have you know, impacted who you've become and the man and professional in what you choose to be and somewhere along the way you developed a belief that money was the answer to some of the problems that you were facing and i think that's a belief that many people have you know if, if only i had more things would be different and once i earn more then things will change how did you think that money would liberate you at that time
1: um Great question and 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 something something I have to say that it was deeply rooted inside me that um, it it became a default. but when when I was younger, the whole story is there came a point in time where um, whether I got a little taller, a little stronger, a little fed up, um, there was a point in time, thirteen years old, that the beatings, of course, the older I got, um, did be, did become more violent um, because I was able to handle more. Mm-hmm. And um, I was also the type of, and I don't know where this came from, but I was the type of person that, you know, would stand back up to get hit again, just to show that, you know, no, you're not, you, you know, you're not going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And it, it just became a very, there, there was this, this enormous fight, um, not fight basically because I was, I was being, yeah, beaten and um, my mom was screaming and it was the first time I ever saw my dad raise a hand to go after my mom. And I just some sort of strength came over me and I was able to, it seems like I threw him across the room, but, um, and I was on top of him and I hit him and he was shocked more than anything else. And I told him, I said, if you ever touch me again, I'll kill you, and and I was I was so clear in that moment because it just had to stop, and it was the only thing that you know, thirteen year old kid will. So you're going to say, and the next day, my mom had asked me to speak with him, and um, it was that was always the case anyway. You know, will make make up with your dad, so this time, uh, I had the strength to tell him, I don't like you. I don't want to be like you. And I don't want anything from you. And so in saying those words, the only thing that could have in my mind could have saved me was money. Hmm. And I s- started working every little job you could possibly imagine. Now I I already said I, you know, I'm 54. So way back when at 13, <laughs> you could find jobs easily. Um, and I would, you know, go to a supermarket in the morning and unload the trucks and then you know, I would clean people's homes. I did whatever to have money, and I never relied on um, my, my parents, again, economically, uh, which, is, which is pretty surprising. And so the drive when I went to university was really to ensure that I always had the most money I could to be independent, which led to safety in my mind.
0: Mm-hmm. And was that the case for you once you were on your own and earning more? Did it deliver?
1: Um, Yes and no. Um, It's very interesting. I met my wife. We were very, very young. She was 17. I was 19. You know, um, I was a a sophomore. She was a freshman. And um, the money allowed us to build a life together. Um, she wanted to go to medical school. So it, it allowed us to have a normal life while she was, was going through medical school. Um, and she wanted to do an MD PhD as well, which you know <laughs> costs a lot of money and takes you forever to earn money. And mm-hmm. I would joke with her about it. And, um, so it, it gave us the ability to, to build a life, but there came, be, came a point in time that when I received, after receiving my MBA from Columbia university and jumping up the the pay scale, I remember having a conversation with her saying, you know what, this is, there's something missing and I'm good at what I do, but I don't feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was actually where, and this we're talking maybe 1996, it was right before me getting the job in Abu Dhabi that, um, we made a deal and she said, you know what, when I graduate, why don't you go back to school and I support the household and you try to find out what will make you happy because I was thinking teaching, and this this is funny because this will lead us to, you know, ideas of a vision board, which I was a little reluctant when I was (laughs) younger, Um, but pretty much everything on the vision board I had um, came true. And I thought, you know, maybe to go in, you know, be be a teacher, maybe get into psychology. I was trying to think of working with people. Mm -hmm. And I was making peace with what had happened with my father as well, because just with age, the anger wasn't there anymore. And the anger is what motivated me for the money, not the joy of the job. And I think that's why while it supported a lifestyle, it wasn't fulfilling because the motivation didn't come from, and the word is so big. And when you say the word, everyone goes, oh my God, what does it mean? But when you think of your why or your purpose, which Mm -hmm. now we've put on such, you know, such weight to that, that everyone has to save the world and, you know, stop hunger and and cure disease. Um, But my purpose was driven solely from anger at that point in time to pursue money to be safe and be away from that person in my life which at the end that taught me a lot anyway so um it was beneficial but i didn't see it early on
0: and if i understand correctly it wasn't long after that when you made the choice to start looking for a more meaningful path that was more aligned with who you had become Mm -hmm that your world came crashing down when your wife was diagnosed with cancer at only 31 years old.
1: Yeah. Um, Now again, this was such a long time ago. So she, you know, she was, she was diagnosed with stage three B breast cancer um, at 31, but back in the late nineties, it wasn't normal to test a woman who had a lump, Um, you know, uh, Basically it was, okay, you're young, you have cystic breasts. It runs in your family. Um, and it was all it was all a culmination of a bunch of things which is so interesting, because while I was thinking, and this is sometimes i I have become a very spiritual person in throughout all of this. and and I realized how sometimes life is giving you things to help you, that you don't even know what's around the corner, but you're going to need what you have. Um, or what it's giving you. And Mm -hmm. so I was thinking of maybe going back to to school to be the teacher or whatever. She was getting close to graduating. She was just about to finish her, her PhD. And I was offered a job in the Middle East. And we discussed the pros and cons. And basically, she said, and we both agreed, you know, what an experience financially, but also they were giving me a lot of vacation time. And I took the job in the Middle East putting the idea of maybe changing my career um, on hold. And when she finished her PhD, she came to live with me in the UAE in Abu Dhabi, um, so that we could spend a year, it was a two year contract, so we could spend the last year just enjoying the, the benefits of the expat life in Abu Dhabi. Well, to get a visa, Uh, a residence visa, you have to go through a physical in the UAE and we just decided "Eh, it's been a long time since you have had had a real physical let's do a real one and they noticed the lump and they decided to do a needle aspiration and it didn't show any liquid I saw her face because she had already been studying and I was like oh this is not a good sign and I'm like oh come on let's just ignore it you know it's everything is going to be okay And then they decided, they told her, you know, they're going to have to remove the lump. She was all good for that. And they said, you know, look, if, um, if it's cancer, you're going to wake up with, um, it's called a PCA. It provides like morphine or something like that. And, um, she woke up, she looked down, she saw it broke into tears. I was a mess. Um, and that's when really life just in an instant it it is like you you see a dramatic shift like it stopped and the angle of everything moved to like the right or the left but it was a complete shift like everything shifted all at once um and so that led me to of course it made no sense to change careers because Um, financially I figured we would need the money and um, she decided to pursue something uh, in a very aggressive way which she they had originally told me uh, which the interesting thing was because she was a a, a Western woman in the Middle East in Dubai she had the surgery um, and she was so young that the male doctor preferred speaking with me first Mm. and um, in a way she was the type of person that only wanted to know she was doing her best. She, she didn't even look at her, her grade. I used to fill out on her college, um, her medical school applications like the score on her MCAT, um, her GPA in college. (laughs) She said, she never wanted to know her grades. Hmm. She just wanted to know she was doing her best. So, um, I then became the caregiver. I became also, the decision maker uh, to a certain extent because she was very clear what she wanted to do and the purpose of my life changed. And that's why the idea of purpose, sometimes it's, I have, I have an idea and a belief what I think purpose is, but purpose was no longer money. At that point in time, it had completely vanished and I, you know, I was still doing my job and everything else, but my purpose then became, caring for for my wife in whatever way I could and that overrode everything where when she you know when she passed away um it was it was very hard for me to find my footing um, Mm -hmm. because of the change the dramatic change in purpose let's say
0: you mentioned on your website that after she had passed you went down a little bit of a reckless path What was that like for you?
1: Oh God, that was, um, it was, it was, it was shocking to tell you the truth. When I became aware of what I was doing. Um, because the, now I believe when we're confronted with anything, when we, especially when we're confronted with life is short, there probably are two main choices to take life by the hand and build it into something beautiful or to realize that you know, it's gonna end soon into party hard, for lack of a better word. Mm. And um, I was so empty when she passed away. And I think when I look at it, I realize that part of it was having been asked to really make the decisions for her, which at the time, I have to tell you the truth, everyone asks me about that all the time, um, It's horrible to use the word joyful, but it was such a gift I was giving her that it never felt heavy. It never was burdensome to do that. Even when, you know, I remember a time that the doctor called me and asked me to come to his office and he never asked me to come to his office. And his office was eight blocks from our apartment in New York City. And I cried the entire eight blocks. And I walked into that office knowing he was going to tell me her her time was running out she had originally been given a three month a three-year lifespan and it was 11 years by the end but anyway so that recklessness i moved to dubai um i again was making a lot of money i didn't see a future I, i i actually somewhere in my mind also thought oh i'm going to be one of those husbands that dies soon after because you know how can i go on with this big emptiness in my life, mm-hmm. that I started, you know traveling all over and dating all the wrong people, and um, drinking, which was something that, you know, when you think about my childhood, um, was, was amazing. the quantity I was drinking, and I was doing everything to numb myself. Um, mm-hmm. I started tattooing myself for absolutely no reason, except for the fact that, to be perfectly honest, the needle for that one moment actually made me feel somewhat alive. Wow. And then one day I was, I was in Dubai and I had a ticket to Bangkok. And um, I don't know, I decided to go see the movie Eat, Eat, Pray, Eat Pray, Love, um, because it was one of my wife's favorite books. And um, she spent her last 40th, her last birthday, which was her 40th, we spent it in Rome and in India. So the first two scenes are Rome and India, and I'm a mess in the movie theater. Of course. <laughs> and I think to myself, I need to go to Italy. What am I doing? I need to go to Italy. I need to find myself. I need to build a life. And I I took the ticket. I changed it. I, I landed in Rome, and something just, it it really did resonate with me that, my my life was meant to move forward and what i realized looking looking back is the recklessness to a certain extent was a young child inside me that was really angry that he didn't have his childhood and it was the young husband that didn't get to really have his his wife in his life and it was these expectations that were underneath because I had never grieved the death of her husband, the death of that person I represented. I didn't say goodbye to that life. I just Mm -hmm. ran away from it and I ran to Dubai. And so once I was able to see all the different pieces and actually say goodbye and realize I'm somebody different now, the pieces started to fall into place too to build that life. And what came up was the dream that I had with her and the pact we had for me to go back to school. And that was to to get into something that I thought was valuable, whether it was teaching or whether it was at, in the late nineties, coaching wasn't really anything, but you know, there was more psychology, but I thought about coaching and, I actually, when I moved to Italy, I started working with a life coach, partly to learn Italian, to tell you the truth, um, <laughs> because I said, okay, you know, look, he doesn't speak English and I have to express myself. And so let's try it. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a free, it's it's an Italian lesson, but it's also going to, going to help me, you know, find my path. And I, I found that there was such value in it and I decided to pursue um, life coaching at that point.
0: Mm, okay. I want to. Rewind the clock a little bit because I think especially in these, you know, short conversations and years later when we reflect on what happens and we share it, it can seem like, it can seem so easy. And so people listening who are thinking, wow, he was in the movie theater, he was watching Eat, Pray, Love, he had this vision that he needed to go to Italy and then the pieces just fell into place. I mean, I, I can imagine this required a great deal of change and resilience. And as you have found your path, at least you know the path that you're intended to be on at the moment, and as a coach, how have you taken what you've lived through, the change that you've experienced, the resilience that you've built and perhaps has been tested over the years to help others get through difficult times?
1: sure and i'm 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 so, I'm so glad that you brought up that point because yeah it, it 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 was it was far from easy what what i learned um about resilience really was there were so many different pieces that i had to i had to redefine mm-hmm. so th- th- there 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 was there was purpose there was perspective. So what I was telling myself, what were my my real truths. And um, I remember my, my coach, he actually asked me to go to this beautiful church in Rome. He said, I want you to sit and look at the mosaic floor for two hours. And I was like, okay, wow, well, all right. Um, <laughs> and I sat and I, I looked at the mosaic floor and the next meeting he said, so what did you take away from it? And the more we spoke about it, the more I realized that all the pieces were not perfect. You know, this was a floor that was made 800,000 years ago or something like that. Um, By hand, they were all jagged, not cut perfectly, but the whole mosaic itself was beautiful. And that brought to light the idea of perspective, that, you know, the pain or um, the mistakes I made, I had to look at everything differently and so which is a key point right when we coach is helping people gain a different perspective reframing um and then there was the personal my personal power let's say which a lot of that was was being blocked because i was not only was i not letting go of certain things but sometimes i would look and say what am i doing You know, my friends are making tons of money. They have beautiful homes. I have this small apartment in Rome. I don't know where my life is going. Talking myself out of things because I was holding on to what the vision of what my life should have been instead of saying and looking forward with curiosity. So Mm. a lot of times when I work with people, I try to help them reconnect with curiosity because I think that's very important. And it's something... We lose as children. Um, We're usually more curious as children. And I don't think I had much curiosity when I was a kid, when I decided, you know, I just needed to try to make money and I became an adult in a way at that period of time. But there are certain questions and skills that I realized helped me reconstruct a life based on all the good that was in my life previously
0: Mm.
1: and not bringing the negative with it.
0: That's beautiful. If there's anyone who's listening, who's at their rock bottom and feels directionless or empty, what would you say to them?
1: Wow. Okay. The first thing, which is so, is so hard. It, 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 it really is. And, but it's so powerful is to find one thing that you're grateful for. One it, gratitude, I have to say, is the fuel for everything, and I and I am so sure of it. And whether it is a breeze because it is hot, we, we think sometimes of gratitude as having to be these these really big things. But we wake up in the morning. I remember wake up waking up in the morning and not being grateful. Mm-hmm. I remember being like why the hell am I awake? Why did God let me wake up today? Because it's only another day of pain and suffering. And then when I started to realize the littlest thing an ice cream I'm eating, wow, this is, this is really good. Um, so I think that one of the most important things is, is gratitude. And the other thing is to, is to reach out when you're when you're at rock bottom and i've said this a few times um, over the years i'm a big superhero harry potter fan (laughs) and um when we are at rock bottom at least talking from my own point of view but actually have seen seeing it in a lot of my my clients we tend to want to isolate and we tend to want to hide from everybody and everything And if you think about Superman, if you put Superman in a really dark well, where he gets no sunlight, he loses his power. So that's, I use that as a metaphor of how damaging it is to isolate. And just to reach out, whether it, it, hopefully, you know, people have friends around them that they can reach out to, or family, um, coaches, a a, a hotline, uh, clergy, but someone just for that one moment in time to say how hard it is actually re- reduces a lot of the burden. And I didn't get that at the beginning from from my coach, um, be- and I think it was because of a language barrier. And I remember calling my friend, the same friend I spoke about earlier, and just crying to him over the phone about how devastated I was about my life being ripped away from me, which is what I imagined it, it felt like at that mm-hmm. time, gave me so much more hope because there was someone that actually listened. And mm. that's, so those would be the two things I think would be extremely, extremely important. We can only ever do our best in any, any circumstance, but our best is 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 so fluid. It might be just brushing our teeth that day, you know, and that is the best we were able to do. But we can't judge ourselves for it either. When we start talking in our minds about, my God, look how horrible it is. I can't even get out of bed. Mm. Um, we're, t- we're telling ourselves a story that, that isn't even true because everything needs a period of... Rest, right? The winter is a period of rest for nature if we want to really think about it So in these hard difficult times at rock bottom it's just a time to reconsolidate and If you look around you there there, there are a lot of things to to be grateful for and there are a lot of people around you
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Robert. Sure. Where can people learn more about you and your services? You've given us a little a little taste of what we can expect, and I'm sure lots want to learn more.
1: Oh, great. Um, well, um, I, I'm on LinkedIn basically all the time, but I also have my website, which is uh, robertparty.com. And um, that's probably the easiest way to reach me. And if anyone wanted, my my email is coach at robertparty.com. I'll
0: make sure to link the LinkedIn profile, the website, as well as add your email in the show notes. Robert, thank you so much for being on the show with me today.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Really has.
0: Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.